that last song that we just sang, I could listen to and sing for days. I don't know if it's just me. I don't know if it's because I'm a pastor and we're supposed to be emotional about stuff. But there's something about a really, really good song that just touches me in my soul. And I think the picture that that song paints is in a sense of Peter walking on the water, knowing that ultimately God will come through for him, that Jesus will rescue him, and that all will be well. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we know that you are here. Lord, you were present before we even arrived. So my prayer for my brothers and my sisters this morning is that as we read your word, that you would speak directly to each one of us. Because I know that every one of us needs to hear a message this morning. My prayer is that each one of us would hear it, internalize it, and that your Holy Spirit would continue to use it to shape us into who you've created us to be. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You know, we live in this world where things aren't the way they were supposed to. If we look at the scriptures at the beginning of Genesis, we find that things the way God created them to be haven't lasted that way. We see that as a result of people making decisions apart from what God wanted them to do, that things went south quickly. I just read, and I don't know how accurate the statistic is, but it's probably pretty close. I read that four out of every ten people suffer from some sort of anxiety. That means that, statistically speaking, that four out of every ten people sitting around you, perhaps, suffers with some form of anxiety. We live in times where anxiety can be extremely high. If your bank account is getting too low and the mortgage is due, anxiety climbs. If the mortgage is due and your car payment is due and you have a flat tire, anxiety rises. Unexpected illnesses, unexpected expenses, things give rise to anxiety in our lives because deep down inside we know that things aren't the way they were supposed to and i think the reason for that biblically is we see this philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says paul writes our citizenship is in heaven and it is from there that we are expecting a savior the lord jesus christ he will transform the body of our humiliation, so this is our earthly body, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now I could go on to make a theological argument that when we hear the word heaven in scripture, it isn't just talking about some place far beyond the galaxies. I mean, just last year, I think we saw that, that we had whatever, I don't know what it was called, but that spaceship that we sent up into space, I don't know, was it like 30 years ago, Kurt? I don't remember what it was. It was years and years ago, right? They, they, they slung it into space, and they let it go and go and go and go. And so for 30 years or 20 years, I don't know how many, but it's a lot, it has just been going and going and going. And what the scientists have said is it actually reached the edge of space, and do you know what they found? 
more space. So when the Bible writers write about heaven, we, we often think that it's somewhere out there, but I think the truth is, is that, and this is not theological, okay? So let's just take it as my feeble mind can try to grasp. I don't think God is somewhere far, 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 far beyond our known galaxy. I think God somehow in his ability to do everything and all things somehow is present here. Because in the book of Revelation, when it, it paints the seeing of the final, kind of the last event in earth's history as we know it, is that God descends from heaven and it says that he makes his home among his people. And so what we find in the Bible is that this earth, not in its current form, but that God will come and live among us here on this earth for all eternity. So perhaps we could understand this passage that it's not that our citizenship is somewhere far away, but that when heaven meets earth in the final consummation, God will transform this earth and rid it of all evil, pain, injustice, sin, illness, everything that is bad will be erased, and it will once again become what God always wanted it to be. The difference, however, is that all evil, the Bible says in the last book of the Bible that the devil, will be, the devil and everything that is evil will be thrown into this burning lake of sulfur, which is a Bible writer's way of saying that evil will finally be vanquished, it will be no more, and we will have no fear. I believe that so much of the anxiety that is caused in our lives is because things aren't the way they were supposed to be. And Paul continues to pound that point, saying our citizenship is for something different than what it's become. And one day God will transform these bodies of what Paul says of humiliation, our earthly bodies, and he will turn them into imperishable, immortal bodies. Amen? I long for the day when that will happen. I long for the day where everything is just as it was always supposed to be. Where we don't have to worry about war, and we don't have to worry about Ebola, and we don't have to worry about cancer, and we don't have to worry about death or disease. Because in the world that God is going to recreate, all of that will be gone. But if that's not enough, I want to take you through a biblical story. One that in some ways, Jesus says, will mirror the time that we live in today. And so if you open your Bibles or read along with me on the screen, we look at Genesis chapter 6. It's a story we know well, right? Everybody has at least some understanding of the story of Noah. If you went to watch the story of Noah on, 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 um, in the movies, I don't know, it was like six months ago? A year ago? I can't remember. But there was a, a big movie and the name was Noah. So even if you saw that, you would know it's about a man, his family, and a really big boat and a flood that was coming. That's about all that was accurate. <laughs> I went to watch it for research purposes. It was a fun movie, <laughs> I guess. I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> I already knew how it ended. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every indication of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made humankind on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings 
that I have created. People together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. It's interesting that we see this kind of imagery of God being sorry that he made them. You know, when the Bible writers, especially here in, in the book of Genesis, we understand that Moses is the one that writes this. And you can only imagine him painting this picture of a God who creates everything. I mean, just read Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. God creates everything for the first human beings. And he says, you can have everything of the very best of the land. This is for you. All you have to do is stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of this one tree, just don't eat that fruit. You can eat of all the hundreds of thousands of other trees and fruits and berries and bushes and whatever else was there. You can have any of that. Just don't touch that tree. I think if I was there, I mean, looking back, of course, because if I was there, probably had the same fate. But going back, knowing how the story ends, I would try to build a fence around that tree. And I would put barbed wire around that tree. And I would stick some dogs in, in between the, well, I guess back then they were like gentle, so dogs wouldn't work. But cats, I'm allergic to cats, so I would just put cats all around that tree so that I wouldn't get anywhere near that tree. Because if that's the one thing you shouldn't do, you would, it, hey, don't do it. But we know that as humans, we make these really bad decisions where our mind tells us don't touch that, that pot or that pan because what happens? You're going to burn your finger. So what do we do? We touch it, but not without licking our finger first to kind of diffuse some of the, you know, like that, that's what I did. I was a little bit smarter than the average kid, I guess. But we do the things we weren't supposed to. And so the picture that Moses paints of God is of a God who grieves. For how many of you who are parents have you seen your children do things and it just grieves your heart? Now, you don't wipe them out. You don't kill them. But when you grieve for your children, you only long what's best for them. And so when we see this picture of God grieving, he says, fine, I will, I will wipe away everything and hope to start over. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. So he was going to wipe everyone, but Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. These are the descendants of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth was corrupt, and all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And God said to Noah, have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I'm going to destroy them along with the earth, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside out with pitch. When the Bible writers use the word for, for violence, it's this bloodshed. There's been so much bloodshed and violence done that God says, that's not what I created humans for. So what's interesting here, we know this story. But just imagine, people hadn't really seen rain for some time. From, what, from one account that I've read is they hadn't seen rain ever. Out of nowhere, God comes to Noah and he says, build an ark because the floods are coming. That's like as ridiculous as saying, I'm, we're, we should build a reservoir in our church in the parking lot 
so that when the rains come in California, we will have a reservoir of water. Well, it doesn't rain in California. You guys would think I'm crazy. Why would we do that? You're going to fill it up maybe one foot. It makes no sense. That was the best I could do. So for Noah to build an ark, everybody was like, this guy's weird. He is crazy. Can you imagine all of the naysayers and all of the people that were doubting him? But what does Noah do? He starts to build the ark. God says, for my part, I'm going to bring a flood of water on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which, breath, in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all the flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Not only was it crazy that God was asking Noah to build an ark, but he says, now put of every kind of animal in there, of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground. So for those of you that don't like creeping things, you know, thank God for that. Things of the creeping ground according to its kind. Two of every kind shall come in to keep them alive. Also take with you every kind of food that is eaten and store it up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. He was probably viewed as a lunatic, as a crazy man, who wasn't only building a very, very large boat, but it was also going to house every kind of animal and every kind of food, and only Noah and his sons were going to go there. That would have been crazy. Very crazy. He would have been thought to be insane. People probably ridiculed him. They doubted him. Which kind of brings us to kind of the time that we live in now. How often are we ridiculed for our Christian faith? Right? So often we are said, well, if you're a Christian, that means you're intolerant. If you're a Christian, that means you see the world backwards. If you're a Christian, that means this, 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 and that. In a lot of ways, Jesus said that, that in the time of the end, and, and what we understand biblically to be the time of the end is from the time that Jesus was resurrected until the final kind of coming of Jesus' return. So in this time period that we live in, we knew that we would experience th things such as Noah experienced where people would ridicule for our faith and our beliefs, where people would come down on us, where people would even doubt what we believe in the sense of the fact that is Jesus coming back? And so we find ourselves much in this great time of anxiety where we know our citizenship and what we were built and created for was for something better than, in what, than what it currently is. And we place our hope in the God who says that he will make all things new. So it's very easy for us as people of faith to see all of this, right? People will say, well, science says that there is no God, and science says that we come from a great big bang theory, and science says that we evolved from um, from monkeys, which I say that's impossible because I have no hair on my body. <laughs> oh, come on, you guys. Killed it. <laughs> but we hear all this, and it seems like our faith and our beliefs are under attack, and what we find in the story of Noah is that if only we will keep our eyes fixed on God, if we would keep our eyes fixed on the message that Jesus has for us, he will carry us until the very end. In uncertain times, we are called to keep our eyes, our faith, our hearts, and our souls 
fixed on Christ. What I would call this kind of living is to live a life by the Spirit, a life filled with the Spirit of God. And so this morning, I kind of want to look at three things that we can do in order for us to be prepared as we encounter life's challenges and as we navigate through kind of the ups and downs of life. So I'm going to look at three scriptures, maybe four, and we're going to look at what this looks like. These are the ABCs of how we can put our faith in God. So here's the story in the Old Testament. Elijah was a prophet. Okay, so Elijah took his coat, his mantle, he rolled it up, he, st- <laughs> he struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them, another guy named Elisha who was with him, until they crossed this body of water onto drawn dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what may I do for you before I am taken from you? And Elisha said, Please, let me inherit a double share of your spirit. You guys have often heard me pray the prayer, God, give us a double portion of your spirit. It comes from this biblical narrative. To give you some context, Elijah... Elijah, with a J, was a prophet of God. He had encountered many, he was like the superstar prophet that took on hundreds of other prophets of other gods. I mean, this guy ran for his life. This guy was, ultimately, they were persecuting him. They were trying to end his life. So he was a nomad, constantly running from town to town, hiding out in mountains, hiding out in caves, being fed by by ravens. He was being fed by widows. I mean, this guy, he didn't have a mansion. He didn't have horses or camels or whatever kind of livestock they had. All this one prophet of God had was his faith in God and what God was telling him to do. And so the story, if you read the first few verses of this story, which I encourage you to, Elijah is taken to like three different places and he tells his sidekick, Elisha, hey, just wait for me here until I come back. And Elisha says, as God is living, I will not wait here. So he kind of keeps like tagging along everywhere that Elijah goes. And Elijah's like, fine, what do you want? Like, you know, that's kind of the sense that's coming through the story. He says, what do you want? And he asks, just give me a double portion of your share of the Spirit. He was asking to have the power of God residing within him because as a prophet, as a believer, he knew that he could not do what God was asking him to do alone. Elisha knew that he needed a double portion, a double unction of the Spirit of God in his life. So the first kind of step that we take for us as Christians living in 2014 in such uncertain times, in times of such high anxiety, the first thing that we must do if we want to navigate these waters successfully is to ask for a double portion of the Spirit of God. It's as simple as that. You can't go to Target and buy it. You can't barter for it. You can't earn it. The Spirit of God is given to those who, who ask. I believe that if we claim these stories of Scripture, I mean, these are God's stories. These are the stories that God in His wisdom says, these are the stories I want in the Bible. These are the stories that I want these men who are writing these books, I want these stories to go in there. And if God chooses these stories to go in here, then I truly believe with all of my heart that we can claim the promises that we find. So step number one, very simply, is just ask that the Spirit of God be given to you. Step number two 
is pray. That the, it's not in 2 Kings, it's actually in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. But the Bible tells us that after Jesus was taken to heaven, Jesus ascends to heaven, these disciples that were left, it says that they were constantly devoting themselves to prayer. One of the simplest forms or ways for us to continually connect to God is to pray. You don't need to wait just for Saturday to come to church and then you can connect with God. Jesus gives you permission to call God Father. He says, call him Abba, which is a very personal way of saying, like what some people would say almost like Daddy, like Dad, Papa. He says, call on my Father. He is your Father as well. So these disciples were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, and you have access to that very same prayer. And so my question for you is, are you praying enough? There is no right way to pray. There is no right words to say. But rather opening your heart and just allowing God to kind of come into your life. Jesus would pray often. This story in the book of Luke is that Jesus, thousands of people were coming to hear Jesus. So crowds were building. They all wanted a piece of Jesus. They wanted to hear Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus would withdraw to deserted or lonely places and he would pray. In another part of scripture, it says that Jesus would get up while it was still dark. The idea behind that is he would get up before everyone else was around so that he could spend time in prayer. Because for Jesus, his power didn't come from the fact that he was the son of God or that he was God. But what we understand is that Jesus' power comes from his connection to God. Jesus, God himself, prays and is strengthened by this time in prayer. And it doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to go to classes to learn how to. You can just pray wherever you are. You can pray in class. You know, when class starts to get kind of like boring, you can just pray. You can pray in the car with your eyes open as you're driving. You can pray while you're waiting in line at the grocery store. You can pray when you get into your car and out of your car. You can pray at church. You can pray at night. I mean, you can pray constantly throughout the day. But so many of us forget that we have access and that there is power in prayer. So in order to live a life that is filled by the Spirit, you must ask and then you must pray. Not because prayer will earn it for you, but prayer is you opening your heart and your soul to God. Prayer is how we kind of become receptive soil or receptive ground where we open our arms to God and say, okay, Father, whenever you are ready, I will be ready. Number three, you wait. Ask, pray, wait. Continuing that story in the book of Acts after Jesus had departed and the disciples were together praying, it says when the day of Pentecost or the Spirit had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. They waited. See, because a chapter earlier it had said that they had constantly been in prayer. They had had this, this spirit of prayer. 
And we don't know how much longer, but then we see that God in God's timing will pour out his spirit into your life if you are open, waiting, and receptive. But so many times our lives, they get so busy and filled with things to do, filled with problems in our lives, filled with things that cause us anxiety. So many times we focus on all those other things instead of focusing on the one who will get us through them. I can tell you from personal experience that the more that you keep your eyes on God, the more you devote yourself to prayer, the more you devote yourself to just reading the word. Now, the Bible, it's not superstition where if you read it today, you'll have a good day. That's not how it works. I've read the Bible many times and had really bad days. But what it does is it it prepares your heart to receive whatever God may be teaching you that day. Reading scripture teaches us about who God is and our role in this life. Reading the word kind of softens our heart. And it makes it receptive to the word of, to, to what God is trying to teach us. So kind of the way that we learn to navigate life, the way that we ask for the spirit of God to be in us is we must ask, we must pray, and then we must wait. And oftentimes the waiting is the hardest. But I guarantee you that as scripture is true, as scripture is inspired and it is authoritative, that God will fulfill this promise. And if you feel like you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting, this, is, this, is, this part, I don't have a Bible verse for this next part. It's just what I've experienced. If you feel like you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're not sensing the presence of God, you're not sensing you're being filled with the Spirit of God, then you have to ask yourself, what am I doing that is blocking the Spirit of God? What are the things that I am in the habit of doing that are getting in the way of me receiving the word and the spirit of God. And perhaps there will require you some changes in your life. There will be things that have to die, things that you have to put away, distractions that you have to run away from in order to fully receive the spirit. So I invite you this week that as you kind of let the words of this message simmer on your heart, that you would pray and ask God for the spirit Ask him for a double portion, and you'll see what happens. And then just wait on God's timing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, though we live in these anxious times, I pray that as the words of Scripture ring true to our hearts and our souls, that as my brothers and sisters here, Lord, who will ask for your Spirit this week, that you would give them your Spirit in abundance so that their faith would grow, And that they would be able to connect with you in such a way that though the waves and the storms of life come, that you would keep them above the water. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.